easy mark is not an easy task. It's not easy. Hiya, friends out there. <laughs> Get away, kid. Right on, we're dealing with the spenders. Get out of here. Best job in the world. What a job. Would you love to have it, friend? <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> oh, it must be terrible to be a home drum citizen in a home drum. Uh, Larry, old man, will you out there? Is there anybody out there? Oh, yes, yes. We, we've left some unfinished work. Hold it. Before we do anything else. Unfinished work. Last night, uh, I wanted to talk to a real bimbo. Yes, sir, a real bimbo. I, I remember my old man uh, uh, sitting there, you know, on his, on his thing, uh, looking out at a car, and he'd say, oh, wow, look at them bimbos. And uh, I think this is a great phrase. Is there anybody out there who admits they're a bimbo? I'd just like to say hello to one bimbo or perhaps a floozy or possibly a tomato. Huh? <laughs> well, all right. We're not going to do anything. We've got to finish the unfinished work here. Let's see. Uh, get everything tuned up. While all the bimbos are running to their phones out there. <clears throat> you find that most bimbos' phones are listed under other people's names. <whistles> La da 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 chee chee chee. Well, come on, let's go, bimbo. Da 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 da. Yeah da da da. I just thought of a fantastic name for a stripper. Da 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 da. The Armenian Amazon. See, no bimbos. What happened to that bimbo that called last night? Oh, oh, that's another bimbo. Uh, would you please give me uh, some sad music, Larry? Please. Say, please. Come on, come on, come on. Get out there fast there with this cockamamie equipment. We had to wind up the turntable there, friends. That's it. Right. Softly now, ever so softly. Here we have a note from a listener type, which I am purveying to you, one of our spies out there. He says, Shep, Shep, please listen to this. It's a tear-stunning note, by the way. It's so bloody and everything. It says, Shep, please, while passing a toy store, Shep, I saw in the window a factory-produced, machine-lathe, vat-varnished, friction-taped stickball bat selling for a dollar and a half. A machine-made stickball bat, Shep. Oh, he says, Shepard, even though I am at the tender age of 22, I have played enough stickball in my time to know that once it is commercialized, it will go the way of 
Little League Ball. Shepard, our entire civilization is now in jeopardy. Oh, wow. 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 Yes, jeopardy. We can see the foundations crumbling even as we watch. Shep, I want to tell you, I had some of my greatest athletic moments in the gutters of the Bronx. And I shudder to think of kids in the future playing stickball with their mothers cheering them on. Stickball, Shep, is no fun if there is no Mrs. Mitlitsky calling you a Nazi trombonic, a Yiddish for bum, and threatening to call her son, Ollie, on you for playing under her window. Or a Mr. Kramer running out into the gutter, grabbing the ball and slashing at the ribbons with a linoleum knife. Yes, Shepard. Stickball is nothing. Can you imagine, Shepard, a regulation stickball field? Eh? With bleachers, with mothers, with daddies as coaches, played on manicured, specially prepared concrete with baselines painted in. Can you, Shepard? Without dodging cars, without dodging, without dodging Fords, without dodging Pontiacs, without dodging pie trucks, without dodging the cops, without Mrs. Mitlitsky, without Mr. Kramer and his linoleum knife. Stickball, Shepard, is nothing. I call you to arms. Stand at the barricade, Shepard. Fight against factory produced stickball bats. Now, the time is now, Shepard. There is no going back. And so tonight, we salute all you kids who are buying factory-made roller skate scooters that you pay $9.95 for that can be put together by your own man. We salute all of you kids tonight that are buying factory-made stickball bats. And we can only say to you, hail and farewell. Hail and farewell, sweet prince. Ah, to be or not to be is the question. Thank you, Mrs. Mitlitsky. <laughs> now you keep that up there, will you hold that? Uh, give me second cut, keep it up there, because we have some very important information here. Uh, you say there's a bimbo out there, is it a real bimbo? Huh? Mrs. Who? I said I wanted a bimbo, I didn't want Mrs. Leader. What? Crying out loud, what is this? That's terrible. You say we got a bimbo? Hello, bimbo? You're a tomato? Would you please... Uh, now, wait, did you say you're a bimbo? You you are a what? A tomato. You're a tomato. Mm -hmm. A Bronx one, it's that. You're a Bronx? Bronx one. <laughs> you're a Bronx tomato. An ex-Bronx tomato. I see. Well, uh... Washed by suburbanite. Yeah, would, you, would you say that there is a subtle difference between a bimbo and a tomato? I wouldn't know what a bimbo is. Oh, you're Can a tomato. I see. Well, okay, baby. Thank you very much for calling. George, she sounds like a dyed-in-the-wool tomato. Hello, baby. How are you out there? Yes, sir. Did you hear that? That was a real tomato. Couldn't you tell it? She says, I'm from the Bronx, and I'm a tomato. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I'm listening to... I, I read this story, you know, this guy with a, with a, with a stickball bat. And I might, I might tell you, this reminded me of something. Uh, I, we did not play stickball. Stickball is an Eastern game. Stickball is not played. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. Keep writing and saying to me, Shepard, why don't you tell a story about when you played stickball? We didn't play stickball. I never heard of stickball until I talked to Phil Tonkin here at the. At the yeah, he says, Hey, Shepard, you ever play stickball? 
How's that for it? Does it sound like Phil? Hey, Shepard, you have a play stickball? Well, no. Uh, we The stickball is not an Indiana game. However, baseball is an Indiana game. And uh, we had our own version. And, and the, the big difference that came, I'll never forget, it happened in my, in my time as a, as a ball player. When we played ball as kids, now this is a male type thing, 97% of the excitement, the thrills, the passion of the game came in how it was played. Uh, where, not the game itself, but the conditions under which it was played. For example... Uh, you got my music playing. Uh, right. All right, we would. I can remember. I can remember all of us peeking out from under the front porch. We're hiding under the porch. We're getting ready to play a game of baseball. We are looking over at Stryker's vacant lot, on which there were strict and distinct rules. Nobody's going to play baseball on Stryker's vacant lot. And suddenly, Flick would leap out of his cover. Schwartz would follow him. Bruner would go skulking through the hedges, and Shepard runs out. Carrying his bat, he's got his ball, Schwartz is ready, here they're going! It's an illicit game of baseball being played on Stryker's vacant lot. Bring it up! Quick, up side. One, two, three, four, five. Five, you're up, Schwartz. Here we go. There's the windup. There's the pitch. A long foul ball. There's the windup, the pitch. And there's a shot in the center field. Schwartz is rounding first. He's on his way to second. And suddenly, Mrs. Stryker, her head is out of the window. Get out of that field! Wow. The end of the first inning. We are now under the front porch. Okay, you got the scene? Now, uh, yeah, that's the way baseball was played. I mean, and, and not only that, it was, it was a constant fight to, to literally remain in possession of the ball itself. There were thousands of elements that contrived to take the ball. Not only did you hit it into the upper deck, I will never forget one time chasing M.D.'s dog around the neighborhood for seven weeks. He had this dog named Zero. And Zero came running out of the stickers one day and fielded a sharp foul ball like you never saw a dog field. He scooped it up and he clamped it in his jaws and he was gone. Now that was part of playing ball, was fighting Zero. Another part of playing ball was fighting the stickers themselves. Uh, we had a flat rule. Any ball hitting the stickers is an out. Even though the stickers, incidentally, were in fair territory. So this really produced a breed of place hitters. I'll tell, you. <laughs> I'll tell you guys, guys that played baseball under these conditions could place a ball. You could, you could talk about hitting them where they ain't. I'll tell you, we also had another rule. If you hit it in dead center field, you're out too because we only had one fielder. It was a left fielder. <laughs> the stickers were in right field. The, the, the center field was out because there was no center fielder. The left field was anything hit left field was fair, and you could you should have seen Schwartz roaming around left field like a tiger. Of course, we only had one base player. One guy would be playing base, and if you if you tried to steal, oh, you know, went on and on. And the whole point of the of the game was the condition under which it was played. And one day, I'll never forget this. We we were all playing ball. You know, we played ball night and day. We another thing. That's another thing that I have to point out that most of the baseball we played was in total darkness. That, that uh, when I hear these major league ball players complaining about the lights, let me tell you, I, I can remember circling under a fly ball at 10 o'clock at night in total stygian darkness under the black Indiana moon and catching it in my left ear. But <laughs> no, this, was, this was part of the game. It was all part of the scene. Now, uh, uh, when, the, when, the, when the first sign of, of, of organization and commercialization began to creep in was one day... 
One day, I'll never forget the scene, because we're all out playing ball. Everybody's knocking the ball around, yelling and hollering. Mrs. Striker's you know, yelling, get out of that! Get out of that! Make it loud! And we'd hear the cops coming, you know, and Zero's got the ball, and Schwartz is crying under the porch because he left his glove on the field when he ran, and now the cops have confiscated it. You know, the whole scene. Have you ever gotten hit by a fast-rolling ground ball that takes a bad hop? I'm talking about a ball that has 17 pounds of friction tape on it, the black tape. We used to play with a ball roughly the size of a cantaloupe. And it started out... <laughs> you know, that reminds me of this terrible book, which I think is a terrible book, written by Bernard Malamud, The Natural, where he has every cliche in the book, like him, knock the cover off the ball. Uh, listen, anybody that knocked the cover off the ball in our ball games was automatically a leper. I mean, and it did happen. I mean, I, when you used those sawdust balls that you would get at Woolworth for a quarter, when you would hit the ball the right way, there would be just a big blast of, of sawdust. And you know that smell? How many of you remember the smell of the sawdust in those two-bit balls? So part of playing ball in that day and age and, and under those conditions was the ability to judge the amount of, of trouble how come you tape ball? What do you mean, how come you tape it? Because there was no other cover on it, honey. The tape was the cover. Have you ever known that baseballs have a cover around them? You know, that's called the horse hide. Well, what are you going to do when the, when the cover of your ball, when you buy it, is just made out of uh, tissue paper? I mean, it's uh, painted like, like leather, you know? Well, you hit it about three times, and the ball is roughly the shape of a pear. Yeah, it gets this elongated. You've seen that. Have you ever tried to feel one of those? It comes over. It goes. it hops over your shoulder and you run after it. It hops backward and catches you in the teeth. You know, it's like, I'm telling you, it's like, it's like fielding a frog. You ever tried to feel the frog in full flight with a fielder's mitt? It's not easy. Develops fantastic feel. I'm serious. When when I, uh, I I've tried to feel the frog. I did feel the frog one time out in deep left center field. One time I hit a ground ball and I fielded this bullfrog. He was the same color as the tape ball. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not kidding you. You know, I, I, when when you when I talk about baseball, I'm talking about the game as it's played. I'm not, I mean the real game. Oh yeah. You know, speaking of frogs. No, speaking of toads, I remember the, this is W-O-R-A-M and FM. There. Hit the button there, will you? Come on, hit it, Larry. Come on, Dear Americans, I'm here to tell you. Oh, hey, hey, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, Larry, hold it. Set this spot back again. Now, listen very carefully to this spot. Now, 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 now all, all fooling around, out. Forget it. This is not kidding around, Phil. Listen carefully to this spot for a very specific reason. Now, listen carefully. Hit it again. Go ahead. It's a great spot, by the way. You're setting it up. It's a terrific spot. I think this is one of the funniest spots uh, that I've heard in a long time. And I want you to listen to it for a specific reason. All set in there, Larry? He's re-queuing it now. Hang in there. All right, hit the button. All set? What is the matter with that Italian in there? You get him, Italian's wound up, and they never know what to do. Hey, are you running that through again just for fun? <laughs> Nothing's worse. I mean, if there's anything worse than an Italian when he's starting to talk, it's a taped Italian. All right, all right, all set now? All right, all right now I want you to listen carefully to this. And, and by the way, stick close to your radio, because it's very important. All set? All right, hit the button. All right, let Dear it... Americans, I'm here to tell you about honor. 
many years ago, the people of Cinzano decided that Italian grapes were fine for Cinzano's sweet <laughs> mood, but just not the dry enough for Cinzano driver mood. They insisted that Cinzano French driver mood would make a drink taste nice, very nice. <laughs> For being born Italian and letting a Frenchman make their drive a mood, <laughs> the people of Cinzano were bitten by their dogs, fed the mushy spaghetti by their wives, <laughs> and uh, it treated uh, not very good. <laughs> but in their poor, honorable hearts, they knew that Cinzano French drive a mood was the best drive a mood. My American friends, after all of that trouble, what do you know about Cinzano, huh? That we make ashtrays. Americans, you're some friends. Imported by Shefflin and Co., New York. All right, now, did you hear that? I received... Now, now hold on for just a second now. This, this, is very, this is very important here. I must have received 50 letters from guys in the past couple of weeks since we've been playing this spot asking me what is this bit about the, the Italian ashtrays. Uh, what is this Cinzano ashtray? No, seriously, guys. What, what does he mean? Have you, you mean you don't know anything about the classical Cinzano ashtray? You see this in all Humphrey Bogart movies. You do. Peter Laurie is always skulking into a smoking room to meet Sidney Greenstreet. And Sidney Greenstreet is smoking that long black cigar, you know. He's... <laughs> you know how Sidney... <laughs> My friend. And he flicks the ashes into a Cinzano ashtray. That is, that is a smoky back room in Algiers, man, right there. And, and if you've never seen... You, you, any old Humphrey Booker, you see these, these Cinzano ashes, they're fantastically famous. Now, I heard this, and the guy's been writing it. Ask me, what is it? And so I got an idea. Now, now this is exactly the way it happened. I'm, I'm going to tell you frankly, just just the way it happened. I called the salesman here at WOR who sold this account to the Cinzano people. And I says, Bob, can you get me one of those great Cinzano ashtrays? He says, a what ashtrays? And I says, the Cinzano ashtray. What do you mean, you idiot? He says, what, the Cinzano ashtray? What do you mean? I says, don't you listen to the spot? It's a Cinzano ashtray. And so I'll have to check up on it. And so within 10 minutes, he calls the Cinzano people. and says, yeah, we have it, ashtrays. How come you're not to call them for the wine? You asked the ashtrays again. And he says, well, I want one of them ashtrays. Well, anyway, to make uh, a long story short, Cinzano said, we will sit. Now, they're beautiful ashtrays. I'm telling you, these things, <laughs> these things are not uh, nickel and dime stuff. And by the way, they're a sure sign that you know how to steal something. The only way anybody has ever gotten a Cinzano ashtray up to this point is to steal it from a restaurant in Paris. And it is not easy to go out of a French restaurant with a 40-pound ashtray in your back pocket. I have tried it. It is not easy. Uh, and and, and uh, we called up the Cinzano people, and they said, all right, now listen carefully now. You better get on the stick, man. They said, we will send free of charge to the first 200 people who write in a beautiful free Cinzano ashtray. That's the truth. It just came up like that. And there's no bit, there's no gimmick involved in it. And uh, they, they bought them. They said, we're going to send them out. Now, the first 200 people, now I have to think of what you have to say to a special key here now. <laughs> I better not use that phrase. <laughs> send your name and address to... Oh. <laughs> 
man. No, I'm serious. To the first 200 people who send me a postcard, you will get a beautiful Chinzano ashtray free. Now, let's see. What, are we, what, what will be the address? Let me see. Uh, how about cheap Italian wine? <laughs> uh, no, how about... Uh, all right, a Chinzano. Uh, and part of the test will be whether you can spell it or not, eh? How about that for sneakiness, eh? Huh? No, ch send your name to the mafia. No, I mean, uh, send your name and address to... Ch <laughs> Uh, yeah, whatever happened, person. Uh, send your... No, uh, serious now. All right, let's, let's play it straight now. Send your name and address. Seriously. Let's see. How... We'll say, uh... How about... Whoopee. No. Uh, how about that? Well, I chins on, though. And part of the test will be to learn how to spell it. If you don't spell it right, you're dead. How about that? Chins on, though. Send your name and address to chins on, though. And that will immediately arrive at my desk. Because anything that is totally meaningless that they get at the mailroom, they immediately give to me. That's Chinzan, though. Just your name and address, and if you're, the, if you're among the first 200, we will make sure that you get a free, magnificent Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Laurie type ashtray. Chinzan, though. W-O-R, A-M and F-M, New York. Okay? Chinzan, though. Get on the stick. Now, immediately, I, I, half my audience is out at the mailbox right now. You got another whoopee? Hit it in there. Go ahead. Man, all the way. The bright, clear taste in beer. Miller Highlight, the champagne of bottled beer. That's Miller Highlight. The happy sound is about famous Miller High Life beer that has soared in popularity because millions more recognize the traditional quality and heritage of an unequaled, unchanging, truly great beer. Wherever people are living better, you'll find Miller High Life in handy take-home cans, on tap, or in the familiar crystal clear bottles. Next time you want the very finest, ask for Miller High Life. The champagne of bottled beer. Sparkling. Flavorful. Distinctive. Gee, I thought of about 25 other things you could send your name and address to. How you can address it. No, we're not kidding. We're not kidding about those Chinzano ashtrays, though, man. Be the first in your neighborhood to win. Let's see. Miller, Rover. Oh, yeah, Rover. Speaking of winning, I have a note here. Uh, and it's about that. We, we discussed the Land Rover in a whole bit last night and uh, its connection with the movie Born Free. And believe me, if you haven't seen this is a good movie. I am serious. If you would like, now, now I'm going to read this ad. The Land Rover. Uh, these wonderful characters all appear in Joy Adamson's memorable story called Born Free, which has now been made into a superb motion picture. I'm reading an ad which they put in the Times, the Rover people at the Lowe's State Theater and the Coronet Theater. And if you would like to have lunch or dinner at the H&H &H before or after the showing of the picture, in other words, if you decide to go this and you've got kids, uh, a special Land Rover shuttle service will take you to or from either theater, adding up to a great evening. In other words, uh, if you'd like to ride in a Land Rover and go and, uh, go and have dinner at the H&H &H and the whole thing, uh, the Land Rover Shuttle Service at Horn and Hard Arts is located at 200 East. That's the big H&H &H over here on 42nd near Lexington. 
104 West 57th, that's the H&H right off of uh, 6th Avenue. And 1557 Broadway. I think that's the one up around the, in the 40s over here. No, it's up a little further than that. Anyway, the point is that these three H&Hs, before and after the showing, they'll take you and the kids can ride in the Land Rover and the whole scene from the movie. A Land Rover, by the way, plays a big part in this movie. Okay? All right, now let's see. We've also got uh, Honda. Yeah, Honda. All right, what can I say about Honda that I haven't said before? I can I tell you one thing I can say about Honda, uh, and that is, have you, have you been reading all the hoopla about the motorcycle stuff in the papers lately? All the yelling about parking and all that stuff? I'll tell you this. One thing that if you've been reading this stuff, you, you realize that no longer is the motorcycle a thing which is in the leather, uh, the leather jacket world. This is more and more people are riding motorcycles and motorbikes and so on and I've ridden them for a long time and the best motorcycle I've ever owned in my life is the Honda which I got at Fleischmann's and uh, the one I'm driving right now is a Honda 305cc Super Hawk. It's a lot of motorcycle but if you want the little 50cc or any one of the little putt-putt types you'll have a lot of fun with it. I, I, I'm, I tell you this and you can insure them for as little as 24 bucks a year and Fleischmann is in five locations out on the island, and they have a good service department. They'll teach you to ride it. They'll make sure you have the right machine, too. They won't put you on some gigantic, fantastic competition machine, which you start up, and the next 30 seconds later, you're out at Montauk someplace, out to sea, you know, uh, or 30 feet in the air. Uh, this is uh, this is Fleischmann Honda. There's one out in Long Beach, one in West Islip, one in Bay Shore, one out in Woodside in Queens. That's a mile west of that new Macy's and one in Douglaston, Long Island. Fleischmann Honda. And one more spot we've got, and then we go back into the world of reality. Let's see. That's what's this one. Da, da, right now, as little as 56 bucks will buy you a tropical weight summer suit made to your measure. Now, tropical weight can be a lot of things. You walk around, you know, and you have a feeling in the tropics that the, that the air itself weighs 500 pounds per square inch. They don't mean it that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, with your choice of styling details, you can get those fantastic new prison stripes. You can get the, all the whole thing. You can get vinyl pants if you want. You can get the kind with the zipper up the back. You can slip on. You know you know that the beetle suits come right off. They, they, yeah, they peel them like a banana. Do you know that the beetle suits zip all the way down the back? I'm talking about the beetles. I travel with Did you know that? Those aren't real suits they wear. Did you know that? You know those skinny suits are just big, long uh, girdles that these guys wear, big long garter belts and stuff. Yeah, they zip them into it. Uh, you, you, just, you should see the way they prop John Lennon up against the wall when they're putting a suit on. You know, he's a, he's a short, round, fat guy. And when they get the suit zipped up, he's tall and skinny. That's the truth. They zip him up and he screams and yells. They have three guys that hold him and they pound. I, I'm telling you the truth. They zip him all the way up, the back of the legs and everything. You never see a, a beetle from the back. And you won't either. The zippers all show. Big, long zips right up the back. Even their head zips on, you know, the whole... Anyway, we've got... Oh, yeah, they're all yard-wide. Oh, that's Woolmuth. W-O-H-L-M-U-T-H. Woolmuth. One of America's largest tailors. Stop in soon. Yes, remember our slogan? It's Woolmuth and a yard-wide. All Woolmuth. All right, now, uh, would you please give me some more sad music, Larry? Please. Please, just a little bit there. There it goes. Very good. Excellent. Where is it? Well, he's winding it up again. Very good. There it comes out. Hi, George. <laughs> yes, we're the only engineers in the whole business. 
who performed the back-breaking chore of winding up our turntables every night when we go to work. As a matter of fact, you know, we have one of the rare, it's not many of them left, one of the rare wind-driven water-cooled transmitters. You know, WOR is one of the few radio stations in the world that has no current drain. It runs entirely from wind, and we have solar batteries. In fact, uh... <laughs> bring it up there big there. That's it. That's enough of that. I will never forget the, the day that they organized the Cleveland Street Irregulars, the Cleveland Street ball team. You want to hear about that? How, how it happened? How the first creeping encroachment of little leagueism began to sneak in in the world that that it was you know the, we we even built I'll never, you know one of the one of the worst things I ever had happen to me as a kid happened as a result of baseball. Now this is not a story about baseball for those of you who are lady types. Yeah, I get nervous every time you talk about baseball. Please talk about tennis. I do not come from a tennis background, honey. I do not come from a polo background. I come from a slugging background. I'll tell you where a man is measured on how he feels a bad hop. You notice the wide spacing between my two front teeth, Larry? Notice how they overlap? <laughs> well, three straight ground balls in one hot afternoon one day produced this interesting denture problem I've got here. I'll never forget. Well, you want to hear, though, one of those terrible moments. You know, we all live in, in, in our world. Most people's world, really, is a world of frustration, uh, sad defeats, little tiny momentary victories. Well, one summer, this was, uh, we were just about uh, at the freshman and high school period, you know, where we're, we got enough pizzazz to understand there's a little of the world around us, but not enough pizzazz to understand that there's a world around us. You know, it's that, that touch-and-go moment. And so Schwartz and Flick and Brunner and Shepard and MD and a few other guys, a few stragglers from the neighborhood, one hot summer afternoon just about this time of the year, we set out down towards the end of the street. There was a, there was a big vacant lot down there, great big fantastic lot that was covered with weeds, you know, the, the, the big weeds. You know, the weeds just grew waist high, neck high, stickers, thorns. Uh, the whole, you know, the whole business, the thistles, snakes, bugs, frogs, grasshoppers, groats, crummies, everything. It was all growing out there. It was like a swamp, see? And so one day we decided we were going to build a ball diamond. Now, now, uh, you, uh, you, you know, really, I, I have a sense of involvement when I hear and read stories about guys building pyramids. Because... I don't know whether you've ever tried to build a ball diamond when you were a kid in a giant jungle that me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner and MD for, oh, it must have been three weeks. Every day from morning to night, we slaved with little hand sickles. You know, the little kind of moon sickles like that? Cutting away weeds. Cutting away... I Listen, I had a blister that started, I'd say, six inches out from my hand, went all the way down to the soles of my feet and about six inches into the ground. I had a fantastic blister. In fact, I was one big walking blob of water. You, if you'd have stuck me, ah, Shepard's one big blister. 
Well, you don't stop. You know, the blisters break in your hand and we're chopping away. And, and it was a great sense of, 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 of real accomplishment. You could see the ground for the first time in this area. And we found all kinds of stuff, you know, all kinds of junk that had been there for years, old Indian head pennies. And we found, oh, yeah, stuff that from, from the 17th century, you know, the, the ground had never been cleared. So we're chopping away, chopping away for maybe two or three weeks. And we had gotten ourselves some chicken wire, which we had stolen somewhere. We had this, this chicken wire, which we made a backstop out of, you know, big sticks. We put, we cut down trees. We made a backstop. We made baselines. We, we put, the, you know, put sand around where we had the home plate. And there it was. It was a ball diamond after about three weeks. And we started to play ball in our own ball diamond. What a great time. What a fantastic moment of success. Schwartz and Flick and Bruner and MD and all the guys. And we would choose up every morning. And kids play ball. I mean, really, really dedicated ball players start at the absolute crack of dawn. Uh, instantly after breakfast, you start playing ball. And you do not stop playing ball till I would say, uh, I would say uh, possibly around 11.30 at night. And it is totally, you, your d average day at bat, you know, when it says Mickey Mantle had four times at bat, my average day at bat was 123, maybe 142, something like that. My average day, I would go uh, 73 for 128. <laughs> you know, that would be a good day. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Larry. And, and uh, we would not keep score of runs. I don't know how, how it, you know, it was a very complicated system of scoring that was all done on a time unit basis. Uh, and so we would play on and on and over and over, all kinds of complex rules. Like if, if you catch a ball on the second bounce, if you bounce one off the fire hydrant that was uh, a double, if you bounce it off the left side of the fire hydrant, it's foul, all kinds of things. And we're playing, we're totally immersed. We are as happy as 14 sick clams in Long Island Sound. We're just laying there and having a fantastic time. Playing ball from morning to night. And one morning... All of us showed up there to play ball. And here are about 45 guys with bulldozers. The end of the ball field. They are building a housing project. Now, I, I'll tell you this. There was definite evidence that there would not have been a housing project built there if some smart guy walking past saw this beautiful field. Before that time, it had just been a lot of weeds and swamp. Who's going to build a housing project? All of a sudden, the guy walks by. He says, look at that fantastic field. And 20 minutes later, I could see him on the phone calling up his broker. And he said, oh, that's a swamp. No, it's not a swamp. It's a beautiful field. It's beautiful. It's just absolutely smooth. And the next thing you know, bulldozers. Schwartz and Flick and Bruner, Shepard, Andy, the whole crowd. Kicked right out of our ball field. Back to Mrs. Stryker's vacant lot. Back to the cops. Back to the yelling and hollering and climbing around with zero with the ball every half an hour, you know, the whole thing. And that was the way it was. And we, we gave up on building a ball diamond then. And we played this regular revolving ball game. Have you ever heard of Frank Lesser's uh, The Greatest uh, Moving Portable Floating Crap Game in Existence? You heard of that? Where the, every big town has a floating crap game. You're aware of that, don't you? A magnificent float. And all professional gamblers know where to locate the moving portable crap game. They do. Any professional gambler, he knows exactly in the minute. He knows where to call, and he's in it. Now, that crap game may float as far as 400 miles. Are you aware of that? That, that the New York crap game sometimes floats out to sea. Goes all the way to Marseille and back again. 
Uh, it depends on how much heat is being put on how, who and where, you know. The crap game may float all the way to Rhode Island some nights. Yeah, sometimes it floats all the way on up to Augusta, Maine. The crap game. Well, we had a moving portable floating ball game that just floated all around. <laughs> it, just, it would go past your house. I remember the ball game would go move past your house. And you hear the, hear the yelling in the distance, guys hollering, and they would go drifting past. You know, the ball game would move because there were no such things as, uh, as ball fields organized, you know. And so you played wherever you could get by with it or until you busted the window or until somebody called the cops. And you just continued to roll, moving on. So Mrs. Sh Mrs. Schneider or Mrs. Mrs. Stryker, down at the end, Mr. Anderson, whoever it was that was yelling at the time would yell, and you'd drift on to the next lot. And then there would be a more hoopla, more yelling. You drift on down the street, hitting the ball, yelling and hollering, hitting ground balls and fly balls, and you drift into the next lot. You'd go from lot to lot. It was the moving portable ball game. All right? Well, one day, how it happened, I will never forget. Mr. Gordon. Good old, there's always, there's always a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, chipper-eyed organizer that pops up in the neighborhood. Let's put it this way. He's an endemic uh, Kiwanis Club member. Oh, yeah, there, there are some people who have rotaryism in their bloods like other people got blood in their blood, you know? Uh, oh, yeah, they've got to organize. Hey, fellas, what do you say we all get together and have a blah, 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 blah. I'll go out and get the blah, 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 blah. You get the blah, 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 Charlie. And Fred, you call up blah, 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 and get the blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, everybody is some rotten, idiotic picnic. And, you know, oh, you know what I mean, the organization, they got, or they've got some idiotic banquet going or some contest, some cockamamies, thing like that. Well, Mr. Gordon, one day, he was our scoutmaster. As long as he remained a scoutmaster, nobody bothered with him. You know, it was okay as long as he sticks with tying sheep shank knots. As long as he sticks with the campfire merit badges. Okay. One day, Mr. Gordon, at the scout meeting, I am, I'm a member of Troop 41, which is a sterling group of <laughs> what a bunch of Boy Scouts. Now that I think back on it, I'm a member of Troop 41, the Moose Patrol. And uh, one afternoon, we're out, you know, they're having our, we, we used to have afternoon meetings during summer vacation when we would all go out and hit Flint together. Or, you know, all this, you know, this stuff. Mr. Gordon says, fellas, I've got an idea. I have an idea. I've just heard of something that I think we ought to try. Fellas, have you ever heard of American Legion Baseball? And Schwartz says, American Legion Baseball? And Flick says, what? And I says, American Legion Baseball? What is this? And Mr. Gordon says, yes, fellas, I have heard, and, I, and I've, I've made the initial contacts, I've done a little organizing, and I have found that we can organize an American Legion Baseball team. We are going to have practice starting at 8 a.m. Monday morning practice at 8 a.m. Monday morning. We have been playing ball since 5 a.m. every day since I was three and a half years old. Now we're going to have practice. What do you mean practice? We will, you know, play ball. We go out and play ball. You practice with a, there's a schmoo, you know. So sure enough, at 8 a.m. on that Monday morning, there is practice. And where do you think it is held? It is held at the local public park. We have booked the ball field. Who books the ball field? What is this jazz? We booked the ball field, and 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 I am engaging now in my first game of infield practice, and Mr. Gordon is down there with his baseball cap on. You know, there's nothing worse than a grown-up man, you know, with a big behind, with a wearing a wearing a baseball cap. And he says, "All right, fellas, now here comes one down there for here," and he misses it, you know, or he pops it up and. 
and Schwartz, what is this going on out here? What is this? You know, and, and, and he said, the problem balls to us. He says, all right, now we're going to shag flies. I've got this. And it was the first time I ever saw anybody with a fungal bat. He's going to hit fly balls. And he's got three big, you know, league balls and all that. He says, and, and so he's hitting fly balls. He says, all right, now, okay, all you guys out in left field, I want seven returns around the track. All right, all you. What do you mean, run around the track? We did not play one game of baseball all day long. We're running around the track, hitting ground balls, and he's yelling, all right, here comes one down the left field. He's hitting balls. Well, this went on for three days. And then he says, now we are going to, we're going to have squad elimination. Squad elimination. What is this jazz? He says, all right, Schwartz, you're out. You don't play. Uh, Flick, you're left field. Shepard, you're playing third base. MD, you're out. You don't play. Well, the next thing we know, we've got an, and, and then he brings in a lot of guys we never saw before. And they're on the team. And let me tell you, the worst thing of all, he issued us caps. We got caps. We got little things that says American Legion Post number 168, the Charles W. Bronson Memorial Post or something on the back, which we had a sign for. Well, 20 minutes after the first game started, Shepard slides into second, rips the behind out of his pants. He comes trotting into, he says, that'll be $4. Four dollars? What is this jazz? And there are old guys sitting around in the American Legion post in their cars hollering, Hey, you kid, when are you going to hit the ball? All right, kid, take that kid out, Gordon. What is this scene? And, and I, I, it began to slowly disintegrate into this organized scene of, of this, this kid plays, that guy doesn't play. This kid has wrecked his uniform. That guy showed up wearing a red T-shirt instead of a suit. He got fined a quarter. This kid is going to have to take two hours of extra infield practice because he made three errors in one ball game. That kid is yanked out in the middle of the second inning because he walked two guys. You know, we never. Uh, Mrs. Let me tell you, in Mrs. Mrs. Stryker's vacant lot, nobody walked anybody. We didn't have balls and strikes. Either hit it or you didn't. You know. I mean, it was as simple as that. And you never saw such fielding as you saw in Mrs. Stryker's. I used to field ground balls off of the fire hydrant. You know, I'd bounce them off. I'd play the carom off of zero. You know, I'd play it off of his hide. All of a sudden, we're out on the skinned infield, and there are a lot of people, uh, oh, you know, the, uh, strangers, people yelling. And then they started to put, this, this is the worst thing. We are now in the middle of our season, and they are starting to print our box scores in the paper. The first day that I, I'll never forget this, I came home one night and my old man says, Hey, what do you mean 0 for 4? 0 for 4 and it's in the paper. 0 for 4, look at it, it says Shepard 0 for 4. And not only that, the boss, you guys lost 12 to 2. He said, well, yeah, Dad. He said, 0 for 4, I'm coming out next time. And by the way, we're going out the back and I'm going to show you how to hold the back. Oh, jeez, what is this? 0 for 4. So I, I remember every time I'd get the bat and I'd see that reporter from the Times, the Hammond Times, sitting back there. Shepard is taking his cuts. You know, I, I've got to punt. I've got to get down. I've got to get on base somehow. Shepard lays down. First time in my life I ever laid down a punt. Just trying to get on first somehow, you know. Oh, for four. Organization began. Well, by the end of August, one by one, guys started to drift away from the American Legion ball team. One by one, they started to, they started to show up on the stickers. And there was another group of kids. There are kids who love that organization. You know? Another group of kids slowly began to infiltrate Troop 41, and they had nothing to do with the rest of us. 
And from 5 in the morning till 10 at night, Schwartz and Flick and Bruner and MD and all the stragglers are, Hey, Schwartz, here you go, Schwartz. Catch this one in your ear, Schwartz. Here it comes. Watch it. And then Schwartz, oh, come on. Don't bounce him on the plate, will you? For crying out loud. Oh, yeah. You know, I found that after I had been fielding tape balls that were the size of cantaloupes and had lumps all over them, I found I couldn't feel the real round ball. You know, a white one. It would blind me coming at me, you know. I couldn't feel a real ball. Oh, yeah. Organization, it's good for everyone. Better living through chemistry, friends. This is W.R.